being reasonable. Now heard on WHUPLP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with Rabbi Mendy Minkowitz of the Chabad Jewish Center of Elon in Burlington. Rabbi Minkowitz discusses his belief in the existence of God. So let's speak with Rabbi Mindy Minkowitz. It may sound a little cliche or it may sound a little obvious, but I think discussing the belief in the existence of God, I think is pretty, pretty fundamental. Just so we know what we're talking about, by God, we mean what? That's already a good question. (laughs) Um, By God, we mean a universal entity that predates everything that exists and creates and is intimately involved in everything that exists. I'm refraining from using a a term in specific because I don't want it to be limited to, you know, my tradition or something, because I think that there's there's a universal understanding of what we mean when we say God. There are obviously nuances in every religion about how to identify it or how to relate to it. But I think before you get to the breakdown, if you will, from religion to religion or from belief system to belief system, I think there's a universal understanding that by God we mean an entity that is overarching over all of existence. So you mean a universal entity, no matter what other people may call it, this is a universal God control that has either a control or omniscient knowing of everything, the universe. Precisely. On a scale from one to seven, would you say, How confident are you that this belief is true? I would have to say a seven, not necessarily because I am so smart or because I got a note in the mail that says God really exists and it's true, but because it's it's an embrace that you make to lead your life according to to that belief. And when you do that, you have to really, let's say, buy into it. Also, on a scale from one to seven, how important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real? Uh, Very, very important. So seven, we can say? Oh, yeah. How do you know this is true? That's a good question. So I think I want to take a, a backwards approach to that question. In other words, instead of putting the burden of proof on how do I know it's true, I think let's examine why people tend to doubt that truth that I believe in. There's an old Hasidic story of a very pious and religiously involved Jew who started to have doubts about the existence of God. He wasn't so sure. And 
His whole life revolved around it. So if his faith system collapsed, his whole lifestyle would have essentially be out the window. And he, he was very perturbed by this gnawing doubt that was really biting away at, at his conscience. And so after he could handle it no more, he went to his rabbi. And he told the rabbi, Rabbi, I have a problem. I don't believe in God. And the rabbi said, well, what's the problem? He said, but because I, I have to believe in God. He said, why? Because we believe in God. In other words, the rabbi framed it for him, explaining that it's only a problem to not believe in God if you believe in God. If you think that God wants you to believe God exists, or if you think that it's true, then not believing in it becomes problematic. But if you don't believe that God exists, then there's no uh, authority holding you accountable to make that a problematic belief. So the fellow passed out. In other words, he was so overwhelmed by this that he, he realized that he believed in God, except he had troubles with it. He had questions that needed answering, that needed discovering, but he didn't completely disavow that belief. Somewhere inside of his heart, he did believe, and that's why it was bothering him so much. To my understanding and the conversations I have with people about you know, believing in God, when people say, I don't believe in God, what they actually mean is, I don't understand that there is a God. People are using their intellectual faculties to reason whether it makes sense to think God exists. They do whatever investigation they do. And then when at the bottom, they come out with a conclusion saying God doesn't exist, they say, I don't believe, but they've actually taken a false step. If you make an intellectual investigation and you come out to whatever conclusion, there's no belief at that conclusion. There's understanding. Intellect is a faculty of understanding. Belief is an entirely different faculty that does not employ understanding in its um, mechanisms and its mechanics. Most people might say they don't understand how could that be that a God exists, because if you look around intellectually, you can't see that, that, that it's true. If we can't understand something, how can we understand it? I'm sorry, rephrase that? If we can't understand something, how do we understand it? So we have to first, before we even approach the question of God or believing in God, we have to first clean up how we approach things that exist in our life, in our surroundings. There are certain things that we experience with physical faculties. We touch objects, we can smell fragrances, we can taste flavors, and we can see anything that is seeable. But for example, many things that exist are not seeable, at least not to the naked eye. You have to go under a microscope. So how do we know they exist? You're saying that we can measure them somehow. Because we have another faculty that can grasp them. Mm -hmm. um, for example, for many generations before, you know, proper science was developed, people didn't understand that air exists because air couldn't be seen. Now, to the eye, anything that, doesn't, that is not uh, perceivable with sight doesn't exist. So, so how do we know it exists? Because other faculties can grasp them. Can you give me a good example? Sure. So if I asked you, tell me how does happy taste? You can't tell me that. There's no answer that is accurate. There may be a subjective answer to what makes you happy. That's because happy is not a, uh, a thing that is, that is experienced through taste. You can tell me how happy feels. But how do you know that God exists? What is your sensation that you're using? What is your... You're telling me maybe you're using a five cents, one of the five senses, or maybe you're not. How are you knowing? So, so I'll, I'll just finish this talk because I'm yeah, really yeah. scared of it unraveling. 
what I mean by that is like this. Everything that exists in our life, we can experience through one of our five faculties, mm-hmm. okay? Now, each faculty, however, is a world unto its, itself, which means to, like this, to the tongue, anything that cannot be tasted does not exist. The tongue has no understanding of a chair. To the, okay. to the nose, anything that cannot be smell does not exist because that's its only language that it employs to relate to other things outside of itself. To the mind, by a similar understanding, anything that cannot be understood, broken down with logic and reason doesn't exist. It's not true. To the mind, it's not true. And to the heart, anything that cannot be felt emotionally doesn't exist. So to use your example, if we want to know what chocolate tastes like and we're using our ears... We'll never be able we'll to never be to able to tell. Right. So what do we do at that point when we can't use our ears to so know? So we have to see if there's another faculty that we can employ. So which faculty are we using then to do that? There you go. So when people say, I don't believe in God, oftentimes I find that what sometimes is the case is that they say, none of my five faculties or my intellect is able to grasp. I can't taste it. I can't smell it. I can't see God and I can't even understand it. So to all my faculties, he's beyond, you know, the, the, the purview of what they can do. And therefore I decide that it's probably not a true existence, but there's another faculty okay. that is the most um, refined and sensitive faculty that is called faith. Faith is a tool that we have that enables us to relate to things that we cannot touch, smell, uh, taste, and we cannot even understand. So faith is a way to know things we don't know. Pretty much, pretty much. Now, because it is so bare, it has very little uh, bones to it. There's very little grasp to faith. Some people tend to ascribe dubious truth to anything they only grasp with faith. So when you can actually understand something, when you can read it with your mind, you assign a full truth to it. That is for sure true. Two plus two is for sure four, because I understand it. I, my, my mind is completely persuaded of, of that truth. Mm-hmm. And I am a hundred percent confident that there's a chair under me now because mm-hmm. I feel it. I'm yeah. sitting on it. Yeah. But anything that I cannot grasp with that level of confidence, I am not sure whether that actually does exist. That's why people grapple with faith. How does faith arrive at truth? So in the Jewish system, at least, it's a it's a very, very careful balance of reason and faith. In other words, like this, Judaism doesn't... But reason uh, is our intellect, so you shouldn't use that, No, right? you should. You 100% should. You should use which that. Which is where I'm going. There's, there's a, a very important balance that we should employ, first of all, really, in every pursuit, but specifically in this pursuit, in you know, trying to get to the truth, so to speak, um, employing reason because men are people of reason we that's what makes us distinct from animals we have reason which animals don't right so you should employ reason as a as a barometer of whether you're entertaining logical and uh reasonable ideas but you should also remember that when it comes to the existence of god your logic, your reason may fall short of going the full distance and you'll have to employ faith in that gap. If we could employ reason to get us all the way to knowing that God is real and true, would we use reason or would we still rely on faith? I'll tell you why, to me, that's not a question. In other words, rather than answering it, I want to tell you where I come from when I don't see that question. 
the way I understand it, the way Judaism understands it, I think, the fact that believing in God is so tenuous and can be easily challenged is by design. It's not that, well, we can't figure it out, so we have to believe it, and hopefully it's true. That is also by design. God is uh, purposely not graspable by reason alone, on purpose, because the buy-in that we need in order to believe is stronger than we can accomplish through reason. So that's not a sort of a, a, a chink in the system. It's not a problem. It's a feature. It's a feature, exactly. So if that feature wasn't true, I'm not saying that's the case, but if that wasn't true, how would you know that's not true? And is there value believing in things that can't be shown to be not true? To the first question you asked, I don't know how things would be in an alternative reality because mm -hmm. we would all have to see how things would be. You know, guesswork is anyone's, uh, it, my guess is as good as anyone's. With that said, however, I think that the reason why that's a feature is because it enables us to uh, embrace it far more wholesomely than if we understood it. I think I hear what you're saying, but the way I understand this belief, part of the belief is that that the belief doesn't reveal itself wholeheartedly, and that's a feature. An alternative explanation would be, and I'm not saying this is the case, that it's not true. I'm trying to see how we could know that's not true if it's not true. Okay, that's a very good question. So because the existence of God, the only way we can relate to it is with faith, ultimately there is no foolproof way that I can convince you or anyone or even myself that that is factually true as is true that I am sitting here right now. Therefore, should anyone come and tell me, I don't think God exists, I'm not going to be able to challenge that. So because both of us are relying, anyone who's fully confident that doesn't exist is no less a lunatic than someone who's fully confident that he does exist. Because to have that degree of confidence in something you have no grasp on other than faith, it's, it's, um, it's beyond what you can do. So at best, someone could say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he does exist. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But for anyone to say, I am 100% sure he doesn't exist, he's no less unreasonable than someone who says, I am 100% sure he does exist. Both are fully unreasonable. Okay. Well, let's introduce a thought experiment then, if you don't mind. I don't think this is an insul as insulting to people or let me know if it is. The thought experiment is, is let's suppose that I believe and I know that I am God. I am God. Would it be more reasonable from a default position to assume that I am God until there's information to the contrary or the default position being, I'm not God until there is some kind of evidence that I am. So this is where the next component of what I believe in comes in, and that's a cardinal principle in Judaism, and that is the concept of revelation, the concept that God makes himself known to people and makes his existence known to people. So how do you know that I am not God? I know that you are not God because I know who is God. Two things, really. Number one is what I said earlier, is the fact that in our pursuit of this faith, we also ought to employ reason wherever it can apply. In other words... If I may stop you there. Yeah. What if I said, your God is not real because I am God and I know I'm God. Right. 
So again, like I said earlier, I would not be able to debate you. No one would. And it would be your words against theirs. Well, and this is, uh, this is not a debate. Truly not a debate show. No, no, this I, is I getting wasn't at trying to debate. Right, I was saying right, about right. the concept. But this is getting at, this is a pursuit, hopefully with both of us, wanting to get at what's true mm -hmm. and real, mm -hmm. factually true about the universe. Mm -hmm. I want to know what's true and I want to believe in true things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to believe in false things. So that's the reason for the thought experiment. I'd like to know how you know I'm not God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so th there's a lot to unpack over there with that question. Let, let's, let me take a couple of things mm -hmm. here before we get carried away. So to me, the way I know that you're not God is because I know what I know about God. I know what I think God is, who I think God is. But would I be able to pursue you of that? No. And you are more than free to think that. And I am more than free to think that you're wrong about that. Because given that the only confirmation, so to speak, the only legitimacy that God has is in our minds is through our belief in him, then everyone can think what they want. But here's why reason is also important to employ. So that, see, there's a big difference between faith, belief, and superstition. They're not the same at all. Superstition means attributing arbitrary and possibly false value to arbitrary things. So I decide that if I carry a, a special uh, token in my pocket, it'll bring me good luck. Is there truth to that? Nobody knows. Probably not, to my opinion. Faith is not superstition. Faith is built with a, a full uh, corpus, a full body of reason as well. That's why it's important. So if faith were superstition, yeah, we could all go around. I'll say, I'm God. You'll say, you're God. And everyone's just free to think that they are God or that whatever they want is God. And if that's I why in antiquity— If I say that I am God and someone wants to know whether I am God, how would they, in my case, know whether they are believing in me because of faith or superstition? Because the way we are built as people, the way we are wired, we are wired to— uh, gravitate to reasonable thinking and logical thinking and to um, recoil or distance ourselves from unreasonable thinking. That isn't to say we can't engage in it. But I think the fact that I am God is very reasonable. Right. Okay. So the, the, in that case, the onus would be on you to explain it. I, by, through my own reason thinking, I am thinking that that is not a valid thought. And what if I told you, I know I'm God because I have reasoned my way there, and where I haven't gotten there, I use my faith. And my faith, although I can't really explain it to you, I know that it is true, and I can sense it, feel it the way I, I do. Mm -hmm. So where are we then? So that, that's why, again, I'll reiterate this other component, because I think it's crucial to this thought mm -hmm. exercise, mm -hmm. that faith alone does not do the trick. What I mean to say is that, yes, if, if we were to debate on a faith level, you're right. I cannot tell you that what I think is false is false, and you cannot tell me that what you think is true is true, and we would all be islands of individual faith systems that are mutually exclusive potentially and completely unprovable or undisprovable. But that's why that's not how my, my personal belief in God works. It's not solely reliant on faith. There is a very strong... Um, undercurrent of reason built to sustain that faith as well. You're using reason, you're saying, and then you're using faith. Let me ask you this then. Is there anything that could happen in your life, any way you think about how you think about God, 
using reason and faith, where you would say to yourself, you know what? I don't think God exists. Or you do 180 degrees or you would change your mind. Is there something that could happen or some, some thought you would have or anything? 100%. I, I would definitely be vulnerable. I am vulnerable, as I think any believer is, to uh, potentially being dissuaded of their faith in God. For you, what would that look like? I don't know. I think sometimes people are so deeply shaken by trauma that even their deepest beliefs are re-examined and they come out on a different side where they were previously. Not only about God, people are transformed, sadly, by trauma and and, and they become different people. And So you would re-examine your beliefs possibly if some big trauma happened? I'm, I'm not saying that I would voluntarily engage in it. I... I want to think that nothing would shake my beliefs because that's how I want to believe. That's how I want to think that my faith is strong. But I am not impervious to challenges. Every person... You don't want to challenge your beliefs, you're saying? No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't want to put words in my mouth. I thought that's what you were saying. No, no, that's not what I said. Okay. I think challenging your beliefs frequently is a very good thing to do. Okay. What I meant to say is that I am not looking for things that will dissuade me of this faith in God. But I am aware that things might come along on their own and challenge my core, my very innermost beliefs about the world, about life, about existence in ways that I never had challenged. And I might, I might be persuaded, any person. The Talmud recalls story of the high priest who is essentially sort of the, the chief of Jewish ritual and belief who performed the service in the temple in Jerusalem Uh, when we had a temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, who spent his life engaged, completely seeped in this, you know, theology, in this religion. And at the age of 80, he turned into a heretic. He threw it all behind and denounced Judaism, faith, belief in God. How is that possible? I think that that doesn't challenge the existence of God. That, That actually enforces it. We are very feeble existences. Wait, wait. So if you're telling me if there was a trauma that was to befall you, and I hope it doesn't, that that wouldn't likely dissuade a belief. In fact, it would strengthen a belief. Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is that people, even the most uh, convinced and confident people are shakable of any beliefs because people at their core are not machines. And me, as well as any human being, I think, can be dissuaded of even their most deepest beliefs so to some people, it's trauma. To other people, it's money. To other people, it's But I don't know anything. what it is for you. I mean, would it be some kind of trauma? I'm trying to understand what it okay. would look like. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I never thought of what might come along that could be so uh, earth-shattering to me to shake me. I don't know. I hope nothing does. I hope nothing so uh, profoundly challenging ever comes uh, my way. <clears throat> so I don't know what it might be because... I never thought of it, but I know that that is a possibility. Anyone who thinks that about any belief, no matter what it is, anyone thinks that that a particular belief is so deeply in, rooted in them that it's unshakable, I think is mistaken because nothing is that deeply rooted in us. Maybe this then, theoretically, not just with you. I just want to ask you, am I, am I not answering? Am, are, am I not satisfying your question or are you well, co- continuing? I'm, I'm trying to understand... I am truly understand, trying to understand where you're coming from. And I'm maybe not understanding what is it about a trauma, just in a general sense, that would shake someone's belief. What, why would a trauma do that? 
I, I'll tell you where 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 I think faith exists in a person. You know, if you have to locate the seat of love in your body, most people point to their heart. Now, physically, the heart is not an organ. It's that has nothing to do with that, right? If you had to point to the seat of intellect, people point to their brains. But again, it, it's not directly so connected. If I had to point to where faith exists in my body, in my person, the way I understand and the way Judaism teaches it, faith is inexorably and inextricably written into the very fabric of mankind. On a subconscious level, the way I believe, and people will challenge me on this, no person can ever really and truly disassociate themselves from faith in God. But that's on a subconscious level. On a conscious level, you hear plenty of people saying that they don't believe in God. They don't feel it in their in their innards. They don't feel it in their in their belly, so to speak. Now, why do I think that both can be true at the same time? Because given that faith is something transcendental that transcends our pedestrian day-to-day faculties, we may not even be aware of how deeply embedded it is within us. And when we don't feel it, we're actually only sort of capting the surface of our faiths and our feelings and our understandings. But deeper than that layer, there are beliefs that maybe we don't even uh, get in touch with on a frequent basis. I think I see where you're coming from. And back to the thought thought experiment, if I use that language to describe me as God, and I think your response is, well, I can't convince you and you can't convince me— where that leaves me is that brings me to the beginning of our talk when I asked, how important is it for you to believe in true things? And you said it was a seven. It seems to me that it's hard to know that it's true. If I can say what I say is true and you say what you say is true, and then there's no way to get to the truth. Yeah, so there actually is, I like to call it circumstantial evidence to the truth of God. Circumstantial because it's not the most damning evidence, the most beyond any shadow of doubt evidence, but it is strong enough to to provide an, a person enough, uh, like I said, circumstance to to think that that it's a reasonable thing to to believe. I didn't want to say it earlier because I wanted to maintain this about God as a whole, not necessarily about my tradition or my okay, understanding. Sure. But I do want to tell you something very powerful that is, a again, a piece of circumstantial evidence specifically for the Jewish tradition. And that is the following. As Jews, we believe that 3,331 years ago, God revealed himself on Mount Sinai to an entire nation counting more than 3 million between men, women, and children. And he said the Ten Commandments on the mountain. And then Moses came down from the mountain holding the two tablets with the Ten Commandments uh, engraved on them. And then he uh, gave the Torah, which is how we refer to the Bible, to the Jewish people. And it's been um, passed down for generations since. Now, how do I know that that whole story is completely made up and never happened? The reason why I know that that is a true story is the following. Let us assume that someone at some point, not then, made up the story. If it were his story, as it would be transmitted through the generations, it would likely suffer distortions, changes, and eventually becoming so profound that they would completely change the story entirely. 
Or let's say that the people at the time made up the story altogether. The, the, the Jewish nation that existed then decided, guys, let's sit down. Here's what we're going to tell people. We're going to pretend that God came down on the mountain and told us these commandments and we all heard it. Okay, everyone is in on the this, on this story and they all agree to it and that's how they transmitted it. Wouldn't you assume that when you sit down with someone and say, okay, tell me what God said. Wouldn't you assume that his version would differ from another guy's version? And if there's 3 million people, there's almost probably 3 million versions of the same story. But that is not actually the case. What actually happened is that the story remained the same, intact, through thousands of generations. Since 3,331 years ago to this very day, we only have one story that we believe. And the fact that the story is the same is very strong, again, circumstantial evidence that it's a true story. Because if it were made up, you know, I don't know if you remember those uh, games they used to play as, as kids where one guy goes out and they have to agree on a story and then the crowd, you know, grills them and asks them. And when there's an inconsistency, that's when they lose the game. And that's how when, they, when they're proven to be lying, right? So an internally consistent story. Right over a long period of time suggests right. that something is true. Right. And let me add, this is important, is the fact that had the Jews lived since then to today in prosperity, in peace, you could say, well, I mean, why should the story ever be challenged? But the reality is that the Jews lived for the better part of their existence, not as a sovereign nation, not on their own land, tremendously persecuted. Our books were burned every generation at every century, and our faith was outlawed, and still it remained the same. So are you telling me that, and I'm not saying this is the case, if someone came to you with evidence and you thought it was sufficient evidence for your liking, that this wasn't the case, that the story has changed a little bit here and there and this and that, then you wouldn't believe in what you believe. No, that's precisely why I called it circumstantial evidence. That's because the cornerstone of my faith in so God— So this wouldn't affect your faith? No. So I want to know how you know what you know. Right, so that, that's where I was about to get to. Yeah. So the cornerstone of my faith in God isn't what I just told you, isn't because it seems like the story is really true. I mean, it would have been challenged, otherwise it would have been fabricated and it would have been distorted. So I guess, yeah, I guess I could believe in God. That's not the faith. That's not yeah, the yeah. cornerstone. The cornerstone is a self-standing truth that God exists. Well, I want the self-standing information because I want to know how you know what you know. And okay. that seems that relates more closely to that question. Yes. So if you look at the world, and you look at the intricacies of the many systems that exist. In fact, let's focus on just a person. In one body, there are millions, probably billions of different parts that are moving all at the same time, completing different processes. And even with all our might and human progress in 2020, after thousands of years of progress, we haven't even been able to replicate many of those systems. We have been able to, I mean, medicine has made tremendous strides and we save lives today that in years past would have gone, uh, would have not been savable. With that said though, however, we, we, don't, we haven't even scraped the surface of the intricacies of the human body to make one case, but of the world as a whole. If you look around, there are billions of animal species and vegetative species and mineral uh, systems and types and kinds and people and think outside of the world. There are endless um, galaxies and constellations. Uh, our scientists don't even know what lies beyond what you see through a telescope. So because I think- Because we don't know something, we don't know how something works. What does that say about 
the truth of this other thing. Where I was going was the following. I think that it's far more reasonable, and I'm underlying reasonable here, I think it's more logical to assume that there is an intentional force that put all these things in place and makes them be, rather than assume that they all happen by the freak of nature. I think it's a lot more likely to think, again, not to believe, to think, to reasonably think that there is a conscious being that made all these things happen. What are the odds? Not what are the odds. How, how, how possible is it that a human being with a consciousness, with the ability to reason, should, should come from nothing? So, the, so why you believe what you believe, I'm trying to encapsulate this, mm -hmm. is that it's basically reasonable to do so. To some degree, that's what it is. But I, I still don't want to hang my belief on any one particular reason because it, it would be short-selling that belief, that faith. In other words, it's like someone tell you, why do you love your parents? Well, because they, they give me room and board. That's a pretty shallow reason to love your parents. There's usually... You can't explain why. I don't know. They're my parents. It's just I'm blood of their blood. In a similar fashion, the thing I told you prior about, you know, the, the story from Mount Sinai never having been distorted or changed. And what I just told you now about how being more reasonable, all those things uh, cement the faith and make it more palatable. But none of them and none of, no other things to me personally are the single reason why I believe that God exists. The reason why I believe that God exists is because the Torah, which is my guide for life, explains that God exists. So back to my thought experiment, if I, if I say that I am God and people believe in me for many different reasons and I can come up with uh, some circumstantial evidence and, and, and presumably— I wouldn't it, buy it. Why? How do you know something I don't know? How do you know that I'm not God? What do you know about me that I don't know? I know that God is not a human being. I know that God is infinite. I know that God is all-powerful. And you what are none of those I things. What if I say that God does present himself in a, as a human? Right. So that's, that's a good point. And what I mean to say is like this. Many people believe in God without realizing they believe in God. What I mean to say is like this. What do you mean when you say God? If you, if when you say God, you mean I am the coolest, then yeah, you you probably no, no, are God. No, I'm God. No, no, I am God. Right, right. So the thing is like this, that before we can say, do I believe in God? We first have to des describe what is this God that we're talking about? When I'm thinking about God and I'm God, omniscient, all-powerful, you name it, that's the God I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. What do you know about me mm -hmm. that I don't know about me? So I know that you are a human being. But I'm telling you, I may be in human being form, but I'm God. Right. So that's where there's the um, legal framework about what God means. Because don't forget that Judaism um, is a wash. Well, is, I don't recognize your laws. No, no, I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm God. Talking, no, no, you're asking me why I don't <laughs> yeah. think you're God. Yeah, yeah, so I'll tell right. you why I don't think so. Right. Because from my perspective, you have to meet certain criteria to be God. And what I mean to say is like that, Judaism has a very specific legal framework. In Jewish faith, it's laid out very, very clearly. God is does not have a human form. And that's how I have formed my belief to be. So any person claiming to be God would be disqualified in my system. I understand, but we're not talking about your system, really. We're talking about God. We're talking about a objective— You're talking about my faith. I understand, but we're talking about a universal objective God. So in some sense, either God can represent himself as a person— or God can't. It can both be true? Well, I think we're skipping a, an important step here. Imagine you told me, would you like to have coffee? And I say, yes, I want coffee. 
and you bring me tomato soup. And I said, that's not coffee. And you say, no, that is coffee. So there's an objective reality whether that bowl is a bowl of soup or coffee. It's not up to you or me to decide, right? Okay. And therefore, you and I can think what we want, and I am free to call that coffee, mm-hmm. and you are free to call that soup, and yeah. except you're going to be wrong because there's an objective. It's, it's not that you are entitled to your opinion about mm-hmm. it. You are wrong. We have to remember those There's things. an objective truth. Right, right. I'm going to ahead. Good. Right. So- I am entitled to an opinion when it comes to, you know, do I like something or not? And I mm-hmm. will not be any more right or wrong than you if I disagree with you on opinion. So there is no legitimacy to all opinions. On facts. Are you saying that God no, 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 wait, is wait, not wait. a person? No, 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 no. He cannot no. be represent, representing himself as a person is a fact? No, no, that's not where I'm going. Well, Give that's what I'm talking. That's what I'm trying so to I'm getting. About. I'm going to just, it's, okay. it's a process that, you know, requires a lot of like uh, foundations to build on. I'm sorry that I'm taking Well, so- when I talk to rabbis, I usually get the same kind oh, of- I know, rabbis just can't <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not the same with God, but I'll tell you where I'm going. So when it comes to a fact, you are not entitled to your opinion about a fact. A fact is just a fact that, that predates you and will outlive you after you're done, right? Now, when it comes to a discussion about God, which is not a fact in the same way of a tomato soup bowl or a cup of coffee, it's not the same it's way. It's not a fact. It's not a fact in that way. How are facts different? Because that is provable. That is not provable. So it's not a fact. So in other why words, are we talking about a universal truth then? Because aren't truths based on facts? So where, where I was going from that bowl of soup thing is the following. Before we, before we discuss whether it's true that you are God or not, we first have to discuss what we mean when we say God, or else the discussion will never meet. We, we'll never see eye to eye on anything. If you want to ask me, why do I not agree with you that you are God? Then you first have to ask me, what do I mean when I say God? And then when, when, you, when you see that, you say, okay, how am I not your interpretation of God? What I'm saying is that there, for the purposes of this conversation, a universal God who acts in a certain way, whether you believe that God should act in that way or if I believe that God should act in that way, and I believe that that God can be a representation of a person, and you believe otherwise. And and, and we have different traditions and everything like that, but I want to get to what's true and real and following what you're saying, that there is an objective truth there. We might not know it, but there is something there to be said about that. And if I say, I, I, I am a person who is also a God. What does also mean? I'm a person, I'm a God, I'm, I'm a God talking to you as a person. What questions would you have for me to show that that is not a universal truth? And the universal truth is the way God is how you are describing it. So I would agree, not I would agree, I would be open to agreeing that you may be God the way you understand God. But I would not agree that you are God. I want a universal truth. What we're talking about, that you with your coffee and tomato soup example, I want to know what's real. I don't want to talk about me being a person and a God if I'm not. And presumably you don't want to talk about God not being a representation of a person if that God is not. Right. Okay. So I'll refer back to something I said at the very, very beginning of this. And that is the fact that there is a unspoken consensus among people believers at least, that there is a God that, you know, runs the world or whatever. There is no consensus necessarily on how that that happens or how God interacts with people or who is God or what he looks like. What's the consensus? Among believers, and even among people who aren't necessarily religious in the stereotypical sense, that there is a God who runs the world, who created the world. Does the number of people who believe in something make that something true? No. Oh, 
No. You just said a consensus. Yeah, okay, yeah. go but ahead. I'll tell you why I'm talking about the consensus. So there's a there's a consensus among believers, and even I think to people that are not necessarily religious, that there is a God who runs the world, who we can interact with, we can pray, and there's someone listening to our prayers. There is a overarching consensus on that. But that doesn't it, make it true. Okay. I'm just going somewhere. Okay. There isn't necessarily a consensus on how that is, on who that is, and different faiths are mutually exclusive about it. Um, Jews don't agree with Judaism, I mean to say, doesn't agree with uh, canon of other faiths, and it and it excludes them, right? And other faiths don't, don't other faiths don't necessarily believe. Sorry, other faiths don't necessarily believe in uh, some of the Jewish canon. Probably that is important because there isn't a universal empirical truth about. God. Yeah. So even if we but all does are, one exist whether we know it or not? Pardon me. Is there? You're talking about consensus, but regardless, if people didn't exist, right? There was nobody in the world. Would right. there be a God? Right. And would that God have a certain presentation that really doesn't matter about us? Right. So the answer to me, for example, is yes. God actually existed before the world existed, before time existed. So consensus really doesn't matter. No, no. The reason why I mentioned the consensus wasn't to prove that God exists because mm-hmm. we agree. Otherwise, it would be, yeah. again, circular logic. What I meant to say is like this, that there is no consensus on how that works. Therefore, every religion believes differently of how the dynamic of God, the okay. dynamic of his existence, and so on, right? Okay. Now, because of that, there is no universal conversation necessarily that can be had about why, for example, you'll say that you're God in the form of a person, and I'll disagree with you, and I think that you're not, and I think that God does exist, and you also think God exists. But because we don't have consensus on those details, we cannot necessarily bridge that gap of where I could, quote-unquote, prove you wrong or you could prove me wrong. But the truth of me saying that I am God, then, is every bit as true, right, Yeah. of you describing God as you describe God, because there's just no way to know. So to avoid a more difficult uh, conversation that will need please go, hours, diffi- please go, gonna, go more difficult. No, but I, I'm going to agree to that, which, which you just said. In other words, if you want to claim that you are God okay. and you do this and that and the other, you are no less possibly right than the way I believe in God. And you might be right. You might very well be right. I'll still not think that you're right, but you might very well be right. Because ultimately it rests on faith. It doesn't rest on reason. It doesn't rest on uh, provable fact or logic. Therefore, I cannot ever dismiss that with fact, with reason. But are we both right or are one of us right? Well, and I'm not saying which one, but how you see things. So from the provable standard, we're both right. From what... I would think, which is obviously not provable and therefore not necessarily more valuable. In a court of law, we're both right. In a moral discussion, we cannot both be right. Only one of us can be right. Right. So there is an objective truth yeah, but there it, somewhere. Right. So why do we believe it if we don't know it's true mm-hmm. in an objective, universal sense? Um, some people believe in God out of expediency. you. you. Why do I believe oh, no, in you? It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Of course. Some I forgot, people, I, yeah. forgot it was about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I believe in it because of two reasons. Number one, I was raised in it, but I want to qualify that. In other words, I was raised by uh, a believing family, and I can go back to as many generations of my family as I know. They were all believing Jews. And it was basically, you know, in, in, in the milk I drink. It was in the water I drink. But that isn't to say that I never reasonably thought it out to myself and, and decided whether I agreed to the things I was raised on. It or, was your tradition. 
well, but it's not only that. In other words, I don't want that to sound like, oh, well, that, that's that's all you ever knew. You never known otherwise. But if you actually would have thought out, thought about it, maybe you would have come to a different conclusion. Well, it doesn't have, seem like a big leap to say that, you know, people who are raised in Christian households believe in Christianity and people who were raised in Islamic households believe in Islam. Islam. Right. And that's mostly true most of the time, right? But you also see here and there, you see leaps. You see Christians converting to Islam. You see mm-hmm. Muslims converting to Judaism and right. so on. But so there is a component of why do I believe? There's a component because that's how I was raised. But there's also an important component of the fact that I, I, I asked critical questions of, to myself. Is it reasonable for me to believe this? Should I pursue this as a reasonable and intelligent thing to believe in? Or maybe my parents were just out of touch with reality. They were raised in a different generation where they needed these crutches to sort of get through life. But now we've progressed to a better world and we don't need those crutches. But it's important to, to realize two things. First of all, statistically speaking, there's a direct correlation between faith in God and quality of life. People who believe tend to lead happier lives. This isn't me speaking. This is, you can look at the numbers is online. This is why you believe in it. No, no, people who believe in something. Okay, but you, I want yeah, to know why you believe. So I told you, right? A, a mixture of my upbringing and the result of my critical thinking into it. One, one more reason why I believe, and I, this is another important thing to me. Jews for generations were burned at stake, were persecuted, and terrible things were done to them for this belief, mm-hmm. for this very belief that I embrace now. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, why were they so stubborn about it? Why wouldn't they just relinquish it, give it up, and be able to live? The Nazis would have stopped. The Inquisition in Spain would have stopped. We preferred being martyred. People saw their children being killed in front of their eyes for this faith. There has to be something so incredibly powerful about it, so incredibly true, that we never were willing to sever our connection to it and prefer to die rather than give it up. Could I say that very same thing about another group that has been persecuted? for whatever reason. Could I use that same logic? You could, just not to the same extreme. Christians have been and are currently persecuted in some places. Muslims have and are currently persecuted. So being persecuted doesn't necessarily speak to the truth value of the belief. No. It, it, it's another piece of, like I called earlier, circumstantial evidence. It's another thing that leads me to think but we the must— the primary reason you believe in what you believe is reason and faith. No. No, the, the, the cornerstone of, of it is a self-validating truth that God exists. Why do I think God exists? Because. Are self-validating truths true? Only so long as you want them to be. So it's not a universal truth? Well, to the believer, they are, but to a non-believer, they're not. I want to know what's universally true. And I think you do, too. Yeah. Well, so I think it's universally and objectively true that God exists. I think it's as true as that brick being right here. But I don't have a way to prove that to you the way I have a way to prove to you that the brick is here. So is it universally true? Yeah. Is it universally demonstrable? No. How are things universally true yet universally not demonstrable as being universally true? That's a convoluted question. I'm sorry about that. No, I, I think I understood. I think. Stop me if I didn't. Is something being demonstrably true, the reason why it's true, or it's just a confirmation that it's true. It's not the reason why it's true. This brick is here because it's here. Not because I can show you a picture of it or I can touch it. The demonstration is only a verification of that truth, but it's not the reason. It's right. not it's the verifying cause. something you already know is true. Not something you already know it's true. Something is already true, irrespective of How your How do you know 
It's true. So how do you know is where we get lost, is where we get confused. Mm -hmm. The demonstration of a truth isn't the cause for that being true. It's only the verification for it. Let's say you are blind and you don't see this brick. Is it any less here than if you don't? No, it's still as here. We can tell that that belief is true, that that brick is true. We can have a computer that measures bricks come and measure that brick and say, yep, that's a brick. And we don't have to exist. And that brick is true. And that brick is real. That's universally true. Why is that truth any different than a universal truth about a conception of God or no conception of God? Maybe someone doesn't believe in God. Why is it different? Because of its demonstrability. That's the big difference, which makes it or breaks it. That's the whole game changer. The only difference is, is that the brick, we have evidence that it's true. Right. And a belief, we don't have evidence that it's true. Right. Should we believe in things that we don't have evidence for? Not always. Actually, for the most How part, How do we no. decide whether we're going to believe in something whether when there is evidence versus not evidence? So I'll get to that. I just want to tell you one quick thing here. If I'm not mistaken, it was Confucius who said, there is no truth. There is only perception. So there is no universal truth. Well, that's what he said. That's not what I said. Okay. On one hand, you're telling me that there's a universal truth here. On the other hand, you're telling me that there's only perception of a universal truth. No, that's not what I said. I, okay. I quoted that, but not in agreement with it. Okay. I quoted it as a, as a belief that exists. Okay. I don't agree with that. Okay. But I know that is a very plausible thing to think, given how we experience the world. I would agree, I would think, that there is a universal truth that is beyond my perception of it and remains true even if I cannot experience its truth or prove its truth. So if I wanted to believe that there was no God, is that a reasonable way to believe that there is no God? It's not a reasonable way. It's, it's acceptable, but it's not reasonable. Reasonable why, means, is it, why is that not reasonable? Because it's not, it's not empowered by a reasonable process. If you wake up one morning and say, I don't think there's a God. Why? I don't know. I just don't think so. And then you wake up the next morning and you say, I think there's a God. And I ask you why. And you're like, I don't know. I just think so. Neither of those are reasonable. Reasonable means that they employ some degree, in my opinion, at least a high degree, actually, of reason to come to a conclusion. And you need to employ reason in why you believe in God, but you cannot base it on reason. When do you know what you are believing is based on reason versus what you are believing is based on faith or something else. When, how do you distinguish between the two? So there is one question you asked earlier that I want to get to, but I'm not going to answer now. I want to answer this what you asked first, but it was important and I want to get to it later. How do you distinguish between the two, which is what you just asked now? You distinguish between the two when the result of that reasonable process with a faith component is constructive, sound, and healthy. Are you telling me that you use reason to differentiate faith from reason? No. No. I'm using reason to bolster faith, which means faith, my faith, is not based on reason. You're using it's evidence. based by itself, but the reason is able to cement that faith and strengthen it. So you're it. using reason to cement your distinction between faith and reason. Yes. You're using reason to cement the separation you use between faith and reason. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think um, you can have people do unreasonable thing, things and get there by reason. I'll give an example. Okay. I, I get you. Okay. Yeah. 
You rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say that. There's a reason why they say two Jews, three opinions, right? Because right, right. this, this is how we talk. And I'm allowed to say that before I get any bad emails. All right, all right. <laughs> it was meant in good spirits. Right, so right, I, right. I take it as such. How are you deciding when your reasoning is being reasonable, plug for the show, versus your reasoning being unreasonable? So reason has its own... Uh, parameters that are confirmed by their reason, by their logical validity. The so reasons being confirmed by your ability to use reason. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it is circular in some way, but it also has an outside verification that is not circular logic in the fact that it, if it adds up. The reason why that's doable because reason could be molded into any shape you want it to shape so long as it maintains reasonability. So reason can be molded to show the belief you want to believe because you are being reasonable to do so. And I'm just trying to understand, I'm just trying to see the world how you see it. If you can help me there. What, what's reason? Reason is the intellectual process working. Why, isn't it, why is it reasonable to take out an umbrella when it's raining? Your reason has established that you don't want to be under the rain. And so therefore, you build on that reason and you come out with, an, with a conclusion that says, I should have an umbrella. Right. So if you get out your bathing suit when it starts to rain, then something was wrong with your logic. Like, I don't see how you got from point A to point B. I don't see the right. reason that takes you from point A to point B. So we use reason, logic, to come to conclusions based on the premises that we have. And sometimes we don't come to a, co a correct conclusion when we are using poorly formed logic. Right. So to my specific case, I think it's very reasonable, meaning I think that if you employ logic, I think it's a very logical thing to do to believe in God. I don't think it's unreasonable. Like another person might say it's unreasonable. If, meaning Tom, if Tommy sitting next to you says that's unreasonable and illogical. Right. Because there's just no evidence for it. Right. If, if Tommy says that. Right. I think it's reasonable to believe in God. I think it's a reasonable conclusion to reach mm -hmm. when you use your intellect that God exists. I just don't think that it's provable and demonstrable beyond really any threshold of doubt, not only reasonable doubt. And Tommy next to you says yeah. that it's unreasonable to believe in God, mm -hmm. and we shouldn't believe in something unless there is evidence for some for that thing to exist. And if that thing that is purported to exist is a big claim, like there is a God, then there should be some pretty good commensurate evidence to support that claim. If, if someone were to tell me that it's unreasonable to believe in God, I could have that discussion. I don't think it's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. I think it's Unreasonable to be for sure confident that God exists. That's unreasonable because there is no demonstrable proof. Well, I think you did say at the beginning of the show that your confidence level was a seven. Yeah, and it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Be yeah, because it's not based on reason. I am for sure 1,000% God exists, not because of reason. It's unreasonable, but I am 100% confident of that. You're 100% confident and it's unreasonable. Right. Okay. Tommy pretty much has the opposite belief that you have. Right. And, But he would have to concede to me, even with his opposite belief, he would have to concede to me that it's not unreasonable to assume God exists. If I said, I am God, 
would it be unreasonable for you to tell me that I am not God? By my parameters of God, no. It would be perfectly reasonable. To tell Tommy his belief, but when I turn that... The other way, I seem to have a different standard. Yeah. Right. So the reason why I have a different standard is not because, you know, when it's about my faith, then we have to uphold it. When it's yours, we can cancel it. That's not why there's a... That's because you are making a very specific proposition. I am not. I was making a very generic proposition of the existence of God altogether. You are making a very specific proposition to you being that God. And therefore, the threshold of what must be conceded is smaller. So what does Tommy have to concede? He has to concede to me that it's not unreasonable to think that God exists. But for me to make but, it, yeah, that's right. for is me it, to apply it to you, it's it, not the same standard. It's not unreasonable to think that I don't exist as God? It's reasonable to think that you don't exist as God. And because I don't have a, to concede to you that. Because it's a specific God versus a general, exactly. all-encompassing God. Exactly. You're making a very specific proposition that you cannot back. How is your Difference. God more backable than me as God? Because I am because my general proposition of the existence of God as a whole is backable by the fact that there seems to be an intelligence force that guides the world and by by empirical evidence. And that's why I'm God. No, no yeah. it's not the same standard. But why why is my godliness a different standard than your godliness? Because when you want to convince me or even if you don't convince me, if you want to entertain on your own accord something so exclusive of other ideas, then you need to make a good case for it beyond something that I also have. Wait a second. So I have to make an extra case that I am God that you don't have to make? I'm not claiming to be God. I'm claiming that God well, that exists. Well, about your God. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have, have, there's a bigger claim? burden of proof on you. What is that burden that I have to jump? That you are God and not me. How would I go about proving that? That's your problem. That's where we are. You believe in your belief 100%, and it's something that basically no one can talk you out of it. In your mind, it's a universal truth that can't be shown to be untrue, and that's where we are. And that is where we are. Reason can never make an argument to faith about the existence of something. Yes, you asked earlier a question that I didn't address, and I wanted to just because I think it has a, a valuable nugget for whoever hears this uh, show. You asked, why is it valuable for people to believe in God if it cannot be proven? That's because we as humans are naturally wired to seek something that transcends what we can see and attach to that. We are always wondering. that That's how we're made. None of us really just go content through life if we can eat and sleep and never think about these things. I think I get it. And I think I could could ask you, does the way humans seem to be wired to accept beliefs speak to the truth of belief? But I won't ask you that because that doesn't matter. You'll still believe directly. it. Right, right. And it's important to note, though, that To believe in God for a utilitarian purpose is not genuine belief. You're not really believing in God. You are needing a crutch to make you happy, so you're taking that crutch in the form of faith in God. That's why faith has to be genuine and sincere, and only in that case will it provide you that comfort and confidence that life is worth living, that sacrifices are worth enduring, and that, you know, things we do matter. I could ask you, does the sincerity of my belief speak to anything about the truth value of that belief, but it wouldn't matter because you'd still believe it. Right. 
From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.